If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A listener note, this story contains adult language and some graphic descriptions of violence. Previously on Caruth. So how much would it take to beat up a girl and make her abort a baby? I said, I don't need him, no girl, I killed me. So how much would you I was like, why Why you wanted a gun? And he was like, because she was pregnant. And At that point, that's where she decided she was going to go ahead and stay and go on with him. How many times did Ray even fire this gun? Four or five times. Ray was looking in the mirror and he smiled. That's just not how a murder for hire takes place. He hadn't hired these people to kill Sharika Adams. The ambulance carrying Sharika Adams raced through South Charlotte and arrived at Carolina's Medical Center around 1 a.m. on November 16, 1999. Having suffered four gunshot wounds, the expectant mother had been bleeding out in the front seat of her car, depriving her unborn son of blood and oxygen. Ma'am, we're trying to get help to you. They're not too far off, okay? They just asked me. They asked me. They did. Her 911 call had led emergency responders to her door but time was running out for both of them. Medic, I got an exact address for you. Do you have it? 5229 McAndrew. 5229? Yeah, the neighbor just caught in. Police and medics had found her BMW full of bullet holes outside a home in Wessex Square owned by Farrell Blaylock. The next thing I know, the car pulled across the front yard and stopped and horn's still blowing, the flashers flashing. Blaylock died in 2015, but here he is the night of the shooting talking with local news channel WBTV. She said when she, they first opened the door, she said, I've been shot and I'm pregnant. And she identified the person was in a white expedition. When Sharika arrived at Carolina's medical center, a trauma team was ready. Her mother, Sandra Adams, lived fairly close by in the house where she and Sharika managed to see each other almost every day. Except that day. 
because she she's like, Mom, I've got to go and get ready. i got to get my outfit just right. We're going on a real date. Little did Sandra know when her phone rang early that Tuesday morning and the saga shifted to emergency rooms, waiting rooms, and interrogation rooms, just how few days they had left. From the Charlotte Observer in McClatchy Studios, this is Carruth. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Chapter 3, Life and Death. A little after 1 a.m. on November 16th, Sandra was eating a sandwich. Normally, she'd have been asleep at that hour, but on that night, her mind was racing about her single daughter being 30 weeks pregnant, about the date Sharika was on with Ray Carruth, the father of her child, and about their attempt to reconcile. Sharika and I had this little private thing that we would eat fried bologna, and she was uppity, so she never wanted anybody to know that she was secretly eating fried bologna. So that night, I could not sleep. I just could not sleep. And I had gone down to the kitchen to make me a fried bologna sandwich. There in the kitchen, Sandra thought about her daughter and traditions the women in their family handed down through the generations. About three pops of of butter popped out and burned my hand while I was doing the onions and bologna. And another little secret thing we did, we would always, my mom had told us, well, you put vanilla flavoring on it and it'll take the burn out and won't leave scar. So I had gone to the cabinet to get the vanilla flavor and I was just laughing and I was thinking, oh, Sharika would be saying, what are you getting ready to do? Make a pie? So it was a little inside joke and I finished making it. Then the phone rang. Um, when I answered, it was the hospital on the line. And my mind immediately went to, I had fallen and broken my ankle and my insurance hadn't finished paying all of the bill and they had been calling me and harassing me so I'm thinking I cannot believe they are calling after midnight about this money (laughs) and so I was very irritated when they told me it was the hospital and they were like do you have a daughter that's Sharika Adams I was like yes I do And uh, they were like, well, your daughter is at the hospital. She's been shot. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, don't play with me. You know, she's at, she was on a date. She was at the movie. She's not at no hospital. And they were like, we're getting ready to take her in to uh, do a cesarean section to deliver her baby. And I just remember dropping to my knees and just wailing. Just, God, just please don't let my baby die. The four bullets had torn into Sharika's body from her left-hand side, which had been closest to the car door, and to the shooter, Van Brett Watkins. The first bullet entered her hip. The second, her side, just below her ribcage. The third bullet entered her upper back and then exited higher on her right side near her shoulder blade perhaps indicating she had begun leaning away from the gunfire. The final bullet grazed the top of Sharika's left shoulder and then embedded in the left side of her neck. Can you tell what part of your body you shot on? My back, my neck. <laughs> okay, 
The four bullets had ripped through her pancreas, stomach, liver, lungs, and other organs. Do you think you're actually hit by the bullets, or do you think we're having touches? It's remarkable she was alive at all, and police marvel to this day at her strength that night. Her 911 call is painful to listen to, and she was articulate. She gave so much information. There's a couple of points where you just want to grab the dispatcher and say, come on, I'm getting it, why aren't you? This is Daryl Price of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Force. He's been there 37 years now and has searched for hundreds of murder suspects. He was a detective assigned to investigate the shooting. After listening to it, you're sitting there thinking, this has got to be one of the bravest women. She'd just been shot four times. and She's able to look at a sign, see where she's pulling into, Dial 911 and give such good information. Lexington Square community, I'm in front of it. You on Ray Road? Square community, WESSEX Square. At the hospital, surgeons immediately went to work. She had lost a lot of blood, even though she could talk a little bit. This is Dosha Hickey, a neonatologist and the Panthers fan who had once met Carruth during the team's Football 101 event. She took care of Chancellor Lee during much of his stay in the hospital and quickly became the family's favorite doctor. She had a significant injury, and a lot of the injury was to the abdomen very near to where he was. It's, it's a sort, it is miraculous that he survived because Sharika was in very bad shape when she came in. And he is Chancellor Lee, born at 1.42 a.m. on November 16, 1999 about 75 minutes after Sharika had been shot. He was 10 weeks premature and weighed only 3 pounds, 11 ounces. He was rushed into the neonatal ICU in respiratory distress. But he was alive, and so was Sharika. Yet doctors feared the worst. In the minutes after Sharika was shot, blood had poured from her wounds, and Chancellor had begun to suffocate inside her. Her blood pressure was down. She was hypotensive. And you can compensate for a while. The placenta compensates. But when it gets to a certain point, the placenta does not get enough blood flow. When that happens, the baby doesn't get oxygen to all the organs, but especially the one you worry about the most is the brain. Unfortunately, the brain is not an organ that can regenerate. The liver can regenerate if there's part of it still there. Sometimes the kidneys can, but the brain is not an area that regenerates. Uh, So he lost oxygen, and that causes brain damage. As doctors raced to save two lives, Sandra raced to the hospital. She barely remembers getting there. Sandra knows that at some point she made several phone calls, including one to Sharika's father. When she arrived, she was told she couldn't see her daughter or grandson yet. You know, they came out and told me that they had to revive Chancellor, and... uh, that he had severe damage to his brain, and they had him in uh, the neonatal unit. And Sharika, they were trying to stabilize her, and they had told me, you know, they could not retrieve all the bullets out of her, so they were going to leave her open. And because so many of her internal organs were affected, They didn't know what they might need to do. So for the next several hours, with her daughter clinging to life on one floor and her grandson fighting for breath on another, Sandra was helpless in the waiting room. She hugged other relatives as they showed up. She worried, and she prayed. 
Suddenly, another thought occurred to her. I immediately decided, oh my God, I gotta call Ray, cause I bet he doesn't know what's happened. You know, somehow she got shot going home or whatever. And I'm like, I gotta call him. So I had two numbers. I had a cell phone number and a beeper number for him. And so I just continually just kept calling both, both, no answer. And I was leaving messages. I mean, it was some hours had passed and he still hadn't called me back. And I was just so concerned that he needed to know what happened. Sandra still vividly remembers the next part of that night. In fact, her recollection is one of the few we have to go on. Jeff Mooney, Sharika's father, passed away in 2005. Caruth declined repeated invitations to be interviewed for this project or to answer questions about Sharika's shooting. Caruth did allow his lead defense attorney, David Rudolph, to speak on his behalf. I I didn't ask him about that in particular, and I don't remember what he told me uh, back 19 years ago about what he was doing in in the meantime. But putting it together with what I now know, uh, I think he was panicked, uh, you know, trying to figure out what should I do. Uh, And I think, you know, after a number of phone calls, um, trying to settle himself down, uh, he decided, you know, I need to go to the hospital. But, you know, and partly, you know, if you feel sort of morally responsible for having set these wheels in motion, if you will, um, you're going to feel guilty, you know, go into the hospital and there's the mother and the father. So it's, it's a really, you know, it's one thing if he hadn't, you know, if this was really a hit where, you know, they drove by her apartment and, and killed her uh, and then, then he goes to the hospital, you know, it, it, there's, no, there's not that same level of, of guilt and anxiety and panic. But here he is, you know, he's had this argument with Van Brett Watkins. You know, he backed out of this deal. He's in that way caused this all to go down. He fled. And now he's got to show up at the hospital. You know, it's, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult moment, I think. Sandra Adams saw that same tension, but in a different way. And so, you know, you're hearing all this from the doctors and, and still no Ray is here. Uh, and finally, Ray comes in with another woman. And I, I'll never forget the scene where they're sitting over there and she's sitting in the chair and Ray's sitting in between her legs and she's massaging Ray's shoulder cause he's so tensed. And I went over like a mad woman. I knew just seeing that scene that he knew what happened to my baby. And I confronted him. I let him know that I know you know what happened to her. And you did it. You did it. Sandra walked away. After a few minutes, she approached Caruth again. Not once, you know, even before I was a little more irate, he never showed no emotion like, how is Sharika, how is the baby? Or, I do remember Jeff coming over and he was able to talk to him more calmly and whatever. And I remember going back up and I was like, well, do you even care what happened to her? Do you you even want to see your son? I mean, you had not even said anything about your son. Caruth said he did want to see his son. So Sandra led him to the neonatal ICU 
we were walking down to the neonatal unit and I recall him being on the phone with his agent. I remember that phone call. I'm like, he's calling his agent and trying to get a story together. And I'm like, mm. So we got down to the NICU and they let us in and Chancellor is hooked up to all these tubes and in the incubator and everything. And so the nurse was telling us, you know, we couldn't take him out, but we could stick our finger in to touch him or whatever. So I do remember asking him if he wanted to touch him. And he said, no, he just wanted to get a picture of him. And he said, because this might be the last time I get to see him. And that just solidified it for me. I'm like, you did it. Why else would you say you wouldn't see him again if you didn't do it? On Chancellor Lee's birth certificate, his mother's full name was listed. The space for father was left blank. Caruth would later take a DNA test to ensure the baby was his. But for many, it was hardly necessary. From the very beginning, Chancellor Lee looked remarkably like his father. I was there when they were doing the DNA. But all of us just sat there and went, he cannot deny that this is his child. He had that same face, and he looks just like Ray Cruz. Even in the, in the beginning. Even in the beginning. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. By 8 that morning, law enforcement was arriving at the hospital. Down at the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, a sergeant named Tom Athey ran the homicide unit. He had quickly assembled a team. We handled all homicides, suicides, serious assaults, about everything that's kind of high profile, so we're very busy. So one of the guys on my squad was called in. He worked for me, so then it became my responsibility. So I didn't really know anything about it until I got to work the next morning and kind of come in and uh, see all the news trucks out back and thought maybe you know, a police officer got arrested, somebody shot somebody. But uh, at any rate, I, I found out about it when I got there in the morning. Athey's retired now, living on the North Carolina coast. But at the time, he led the investigation, which sometimes included as many as four detectives. Athey sent Price to the hospital, saying he would join him shortly. With luck, Price could speak with the victim. She had been in surgery since early that morning, and she had just come out by the time I got to the hospital. This is Price again. Uh, A lot of family members were there, um, so I got to meet them and talk to them a little bit about what they knew. They didn't know much. Uh, They started talking about her relationship with Ray, and at that point, I didn't have a lot of clue who Ray was. I didn't watch Panthers football, so I wasn't a fanboy. The doctors articulated they had delivered the baby very prematurely. At that point, their prognosis was that Sharika would probably survive, but the baby most likely would not. Right. They, They really were concerned because Chancellor had to be revived. He had literally passed away, and he had to be revived. So they were really concerned about his stability. Normally, I have a difficult time with uh, children cases. I had a child at the time. She's now a grown adult. Uh, My child then was seven years old. But in this case, I just remember being more focused on hoping she would come out of her anesthesia so that we could try to talk to her that day because the information would have been more fresh that day. About seven hours after arriving at the hospital, Sharika was wheeled out of surgery and into a recovery room. Her family soon joined her. For several hours after that, Sharika was able to communicate. But because she was intubated, the tube inserted down her throat made her unable to speak. So instead, she wrote. It was one of the nurses that had made the suggestion that uh, she couldn't talk, but possibly she could write. Here's Price again. And so she was given a pad and pen, and the nurse had asked a few questions first, and she was able to write the answers down. So at that point, started asking more questions about where she had been and who she had been with and what had occurred to her that particular day. Through the entire ordeal, Sharika had lost six liters of blood, one and a half times what her body would have normally held. And, of course, she had just delivered a baby. And she'd asked for the pad and pencil. With everything Sharika had endured, Price wondered how lucid she could be. But there was no question in Sandra's mind. I knew she knew what she was talking about because Sharika hated to have chapped lips. 
she absolutely hated. And they had these tubes and stuff, and she was writing on the paper chapstick. And I said, she knows exactly what she's talking about. And she was able to give us enough to where we were able to take that lead and work with it. One of the questions I know was, do you think Ray was involved? And she just made a question mark after that. I've seen copies of those notes Sharika wrote. The handwriting is obviously labored, but in one spot she clearly wrote, quote, he was driving in front of me and stopped in the road, and a car pulled up beside me, and he blocked the front and never came back. Still, the new mother had no idea who had actually shot her, and soon, under doctor's orders, she was given more medication and went back to sleep. At a particular point, she kind of wound down, and we were told that we needed to let her rest. And obviously, based on the fact that I told we thought she was going to survive, you know, there's going to be another day. So we kind of left it at that and moved on. As Price spoke with Sharika, Athey focused on the hospital waiting room. Caruth was still there, and the sergeant wasted no time. He told me that first contact is invaluable to police, in part because lawyers aren't typically involved yet. If I remember, there was another girl with him, but I'm not 100% sure of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only thing that really I zeroed in on was he had a uh, had a cell phone with him, so I just asked him to have, you know, take a look at his phone, mm-hmm. and uh, started going through some of the contacts, the numbers, and uh, you know, kind of writing that stuff down. I mean, Police had one crucial thing on their side: that already heard the tape from Sharika's 911 call. Caruth couldn't have known what she had told the dispatchers, much less that Athey had already heard it. He tell right off the bat the guy's lying. I mean, you can just tell from talking to people. Mm. You know, I mean, you got to remember what we knew at the time was what Sharika said on the 911 call. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I can play fairly ignorant of things when if I need to. So, I mean, I kind of knew what the deal was, but he didn't know that I knew that. The waiting room wasn't the place for a confrontation, though. Athey's team could soon go to work on the cell phone records. They hoped to schedule a later conversation with Caruth down at the police station, but before he left the waiting room that morning, Athey wanted one more thing from the NFL player, his car. We got him uh, to consent for us to uh, search his vehicle. He was pretty forthcoming about that because there's really no physical evidence tying him to anything in that car, and we, we figured out why after we kind of got into this thing. Any further interviews with Caruth, however, were quickly put on hold. Before the day was out, Caruth had hired George Lauren, a well-known Charlotte defense attorney who'd represented multiple pro athletes involved in scrapes with the law. Lauren had no intention of letting Caruth talk to police. George declined to let us interview his client, but we go back and uh, see what comes of the vehicle search, which is really nothing. And the next thing that we would have done would be start looking at these phone records and identifying people he's been talking to. At the police station, those records painted a bleak picture, thanks largely to what was at the time cutting-edge technology. You know, we started looking into phone records because she had made a comment that she was on the phone with Ray. Here's Price again. So we were able to pull her records, and then we subpoenaed Ray's records as well, and we were able to piece together pretty quickly that he's talking to her from the time they left the movie theater, and then he gets off the phone to take another phone call with this Kennedy guy. Then he gets back on the phone with her. And this was very new at the time, the cell phone triangulation, that you could take cell phone records, figure out which towers were being used, and triangulate a location within a few yards. 
and we could put Ray's cell phone where she was shot. So then we started going back and talking to the person he called in between the two Sharika calls, and that eventually leads us to the shooter and another person who was in the car. Four days went by, and back at the hospital, there was finally cause for optimism. Chancellor Lee's prognosis was gradually improving. He had a seizure because of the hypoxia, the lack of oxygen he had had in utero. And uh, for sure, it wasn't one of the subtle ones. It was a real seizure. This is Dosha Hickey again. She saw Chancellor Lee for the first time when he was a few hours old. He ended up having that seizure, got some medication, and that's the only time he did. Everybody was always going to be worried about him because of what went on, but he took a bottle, he did things like a baby was supposed to do before he went home. Because of the lack of oxygen, Hickey worried that Chancellor Lee might have developed cerebral palsy, a disorder often characterized by abnormal reflexes, stiffness in the limbs, tremors, and delays in motor skills and speech development. But that diagnosis is hard to make for infants. You were worried when he had the seizure. You can't tell for sure till it's time to start making your milestones. When you walk, when you start talking, uh, when you start rolling, you know, actually if you roll over early, that's a bad sign because it means you're stiff. He was able to take a bottle, but that's a very basic reflex. As Chancellor Lee defied doctors' expectations, however, his mother's condition worsened. Doctors proposed what was then an experimental treatment option for Sharika called ECMO. They would put her in a medically induced coma and use machines to bypass the function of her heart and lungs. Sharika was fighting so hard to live. She already had a punctured lung and all her organs were just messed up. But she was trying so hard to live, it was just overbearing pressure on the lungs and on her heart. And at the time, the doctor did come out and tell us that they wanted to try this new procedure, and it had never been done on an adult. It had only been performed with children, but they thought that they could use this ECMO and help her to live. Almost immediately, Sharika, the five-foot-four woman who'd modeled as a teenager, began retaining fluids and transforming before her mother's eyes. By that next morning, she did not even look like Sharika. And so when I went in to see her, I thought I was in the wrong room after one day. Of course, I have plenty of funny stories. <laughs> when uh, she was born, she had this little round face. She had a head full of hair, so they had put her hair down on the sides and did a mohawk up in the top. And I was like, they gave me the wrong child. And so they assured me, this, this is the one you had. And so that first day seeing her again, after the coma was induced, she was that round-faced baby. She just didn't have the mohawk. And it was such a surreal moment for me. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For nearly a month, Price visited Sharika and her family almost every day to keep them updated on the investigation. By then, a row of framed family photos lined the windowsill of her hospital room and bunches of get-well-soon balloons decorated the corners of the ceiling. They had the elevator bed so that it would help the drainage of the fluids. I have one picture of me in the room with her with her bed, probably close to six feet off the ground. Here's Price again. I would have to venture guess that every day one of the family members was there, so I got to know them super well. You know, and during this time, I wasn't just going in the hospital every day. We were doing this and doing that. And that's including the sergeant. You know, as soon as we'd bring information back to him, he would make sense of it, develop new tasks, you know, trying to piece together what had occurred. At the police station, Carruth's expedition had come up empty for DNA or other evidence tying him to the crime. But Athey had another use for it. We're not going to go out there and knock on his door and get him (laughs) to talk to us. So we called him on the phone and said, hey, Ray, we got your car. We're kind of done with it. I said, look, if you come down here and get this car, the media's everywhere. You know, you have to deal with all these jackass media people. I'm just, no offense, I'm just trying to, <laughs> to get him on our side. You know, they're going to be up in your face, blah, blah, blah. I said, here, why don't we do this? We'll come out there and get you. 
we'll bring you down here. We'll get you in through the parking deck so you can sign the paperwork to pick up your car. So he's all about that. You know, we're buddies at that time. Athey and another officer drove out and picked up Caruth at his home. Driving back to the station, Athey sat in the front seat on the passenger side, and Caruth sat in the back. Always conscious of appearances, Caruth made an observation. I've got my left hand on the armrest, looking over my shoulder, kind of just making a small talk with him. And I, at that time, I used to wear a, a Rolex watch. And he looks at the watch, he says, hey, is that a fake Rolex? I think, well, no, I, just, I actually bought this, you know. What a dumb, I mean, what? You've just been involved in trying to murder your girlfriend, and you, you want to bust on me for wearing a fake Rolex. But anyway. At the station, the sergeant stalled. Athey said the SUV wasn't quite ready to be picked up and sent Carruth to an interview room to wait. There, he convinced the football player to look at a list of his own phone records and explain one number Carruth had called over and over in the prior few months. I said, you know, we, the quicker we can get your story, we can get you out of this thing and move on. He said, well, you know, my lawyer tells him I'm supposed to talk to you. I said, I understand that. I said, you're not under arrest. You're, you're, if something happens, you're going to be the person suffering the consequences, not your lawyer. I mean, if you've got to go to prison, guess who ain't going to prison? George Lauren. I said, i tell you what, let's just do this. I just want you to look at some of these phone numbers and just tell me who these people are. So he's going through, he's naming them off right and left. And he gets down to the one that turns out to be Van Brett Watkins, and he, he just skips right over that, like as quick as his finger could move. I said, well, who, who's this person? And I can't remember his response, but it clearly wasn't the truth. So it was clear to me that that number was important. That phone number led to the switchboard at a budget motel near Charlotte's airport, the Villager Lodge, but not to a specific room. Police released Carruth's car and sent him on his way and puzzled over the mysterious motel guest. The key break there came from Michael Kennedy. Was that the designated place this was to happen? We rode past that place, and then we like turned around and we came back. The driver in the drive-by shooting was the first to cooperate with police. Here he is talking with Charlotte Mecklenburg police officer Tony Rice. Does he kind of tell you what he's going to do, how he's going to make this happen? Yeah, he said, I won't. My man arrived with you. He was talking about William. He said, ride with you. He said, when we leave the movies, he said, I'm going to call you, and I want y'all to follow me down this road right here. And he was like, William already know what to do. Kennedy didn't know Watkins' real name, but he gave police a good description of the shooter. Nine days after Sharika was shot, police were patrolling the villager lodge. Law enforcement was close to unraveling Carruth's alleged plan a plan that soon was no longer a conspiracy to avoid a child support payment. On December 14, 1999, it became cold-blooded murder. Sharika's doctors tried experimental treatments and conventional care, but by mid-December she had been unconscious for 27 straight days, and there were few options left. Chancellor was still there in the hospital as well, and Sharika's family asked if he could be brought to her room. Uh, We knew she was going to die. And uh, the family asked if he could come up to the uh, adult intensive care unit. This is Hickey again. And the room was full, and there were people out in the hall, and we came in. And Sandra looks up at me and goes, there's Dr. Hickey with Chancellor. And uh, we wrapped him up and we laid him on her chest for a while. Sharika was never able to 
actually see Chancellor while she was conscious. As soon as she delivered Chancellor, he had to immediately be taken to the NICU. There were two occasions that we took Chancellor to her. Uh, on both the occasions, I know she felt his presence because when we laid Chancellor on her breast, the monitors immediately started going crazy. That heart monitor was just all up and down and up and down and that let me know she knew he was present. And um, I just remember the one tear. She had one tear to come out the side of her eye. Soon after, the family decided to let her go. By the time um, we took her off the life support, she was 282 pounds. I didn't even have anything that she could wear. So the last day that Sharika was Sharika to us was November 16th. We definitely was praying for a different outcome that both of them would live and, and get better. But I think I had so much peace because she was existing, she was not living. So I didn't have to think long on making that decision. Uh, and I knew, and I know she knew that her son was in good hands. And so we made, really I made the decision to take her off of life support. Sharika Adams died at 12.43 p.m. on that December day with her parents and her family by her side. Her son was four weeks old. A few hours later, Chancellor Lee did something unexpected. Chancellor had not had what's called an apneic spell the whole damn time since he'd been in the unit where he, you stop breathing and your heart rate drops. That night he had an apneic spell. And all of us sort of looked at each other and went, we're not going to worry about this. It was, it was, it was, yeah. it gave us all the chills. Yeah. I think it was something having to do with her passing. A few hours after that, Carruth was on the run. I'm Scott Fowler, and this podcast is produced by Jeff Siner and Rachel Wise and Davin Coburn at McClatchy Studios. Find lots more about this case at charlotteobserver.com slash Carruth. And for just $30, subscribe now to a full year of the Observer's award-winning sports coverage at charlotteobserver.com slash sportspass. In Chapter 4, The Federal Manhunt for a Fugitive. I saw a segment on Good Morning America, Ray Carruth fled the state. He could sense this was going to get turned on him and him alone. Something that horrific and that calculated. You're just thinking, I can't, my teammate could not have done that. The adrenaline kicked in, I thought, my God, he is here. He comes to the door completely naked. He's got another girl in there. I said, Ray, I'm with the FBI, and I have agents surrounded the car. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.